All right, here today with us is Nicole Gekoff from On This Topical Life. And we are going to discuss the fact that she is a school counselor. And not only is she a school counselor, she is also my neighbor. And when I say neighbor, she lives literally next door to me. And um, so I know Nicole on a personal level and um, we've known each other for, I don't know, how many years now? Like, well, to I moved in here when Tobin, when I was pregnant with Tobin, so Tobin's six. So at least six years. Yeah, we've been mowing each other's lawns for six years. <laughs> <laughs> but a funny, um, a funny thing about Nicole and I, okay, so wait, Nicole, we'll talk about Nicole in a second, but I have to just say. The reason why Nicole is so cool is because she let me accidentally run my car into her house. <laughs> I don't know if I let you. <laughs> she was okay with the fact that my car accidentally rolled down a hill and um, went to the corner of her house. And it was a very traumatic situation. And we laugh at it now, but... <laughs> Let's just, how did you find, okay, so the story is, should we just unpack that sure, story sure. before we get into it? Like, this is just an epic moment in my life, but also how you handled that whole situation was just, like, awesome. Like, it could have been a different scenario, you know, just of, you know, whatever. But anyway, um, okay, so it was a day where I had to... Um, drop it like we had no milk whatever so it was like oh i'll go to mcdonald's and get the kids some food you know and that kind of thing and um in a rush i got home and uh the kids were in the car joey ruthie and tobin and um i parked weird on our hill because we had the trash cans in the driveway and i couldn't quite like get in our driveway so i was in a really weird position with my car like facing down a hill and Joey, so Ruthie gets out just fine. Um, Tobin's in his car seat, and Joey was like, I can't open the door because we're on a slant. So he was, like, trying to push open the door, and I was like, okay, you know. And I I thought I put the car in park, but I put the car in neutral. And as I went on the other side of the car to open the door for Joey, the car started to move. And it went to Nicole's house. Her car was in the driveway. <laughs> and I thought all was lost. I let my kids go, which could have, I mean, technically the car could have gone all the way down to the river. Yes. I live yes. by a river. So it could have been, really it could have been, <laughs> it could have run over people. Yes. It could have went to houses, cars. I mean, who knows with my kids in the car. Yes. Okay. So I think the fact, okay. So then what happened was it could have picked up tremendous momentum. It could have. Yes. yes. And this isn't just like a little hill. It's yeah. like a steep hill. Towards the river, yes. Towards the river. Yes. And um, so I, 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 I feel like angels were in protection because as a mother, you, my instinct was almost to just hold on to the car as it was going, but I was like, something in me just like pulled away and let my kids go. Like I just, because I could have gotten run over. In fact, Joey looks back, that was the thing he was worried about as he was going down the hill, he thought I got run over. So... Um, because I was holding onto the front of the car or for a second. So long story short, um, we move the car somehow, like the kids get out, you know, we deal with the trauma of that. And then, um, I get Brian, I'm freaking out. I am like literally balls, um, bawling in the, just bawling everywhere, just freaking out. And Brian comes out and assesses the situation and long story short, a friend 
was able to tow my car out, and I was just thinking about. And the and kids were, were fine. The and kids, the kids were yeah. fine. <laughs> the kids were fine. The kids were fine. That is, yeah. The car went in a very peculiar situation to where it was the corner of Nicole's house, mm-hmm. corner of my garage, the corner of her garage, yeah. and a friend of ours was able to pull out my car, mm-hmm. and there was. I don't know, a scratch on my car and like a scratch on your house. It was miraculous. Absolutely minimal damage to anything and everything. And the kids were fine. And it was a miracle. It was, it was, I drove away that day (laughs) and went to the freaking grocery store. I I was walking around the grocery store thinking, how is this possible? Mm -hmm. How is this possible? Mm -hmm. But the way that you found out, because after it actually happened, I went to your door and I was knocking on the door and I did see your car in the driveway. So mm-hmm. I thought you were home, but you mm-hmm. weren't. Mm-hmm. So you weren't even there no. to witness the whole thing. In fact, you didn't even see the car in like, you didn't even see the car on your house. No, you found out because what happened? Like I you were, was, I was, told you, no, I was walking up. So I, when the car rolled into the house, I happened to be volunteering in my younger daughter's classroom and I came home and by the time I came home, the car was gone. And it was when I was going back up to school to pick her up that another neighbor stopped and was like, oh my gosh, that car rolled into your house. And, and are you guys okay? And that was crazy. And there was this car. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. What car rolled into my house and when did that happen? Um, So that's how I found out. And it was sort of a piecing of the story together. Um, But yeah, basically, you know, I, I went and I went and talked to you and you told me this story Um, But you guys were fine. The car was fine. I looked at the garage and I think there was like some paint chipped off or something like that. But ultimately everything was fine. And so I think it was just like relief. I mean, because I honestly, I was like, I did not know what had happened. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, that's so cool about Nicole. This is what, this is what I love about Nicole is that um, I think you know what well at that time your car was brand new oh, yes it was this baby of hers <laughs> this car that was parked in the driveway that could easily yes I it mean, was it was definitely in the path it was in the path it was like i it was a miraculous I, I still can't yes. i love talking about this because it was just such a mm-hmm. epic moment um but you i go well nicole like what if i had accidentally like ran into your car like just what if my car went to your car and you're like, well, I just, we hope that you were okay, you know? And you know, not everybody can just like, yeah, she didn't even think twice about her brand new spanking car. Well, I think that the, the, the way the situation was is that, you know, pe- uh, people cannot be replaced, but yeah. cars, homes, I mean, of course you'd feel sad about the loss, but that's not what's important in that situation. Right. But your instincts were immediately people, not car. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yes, of course, but not many people, not everybody can say that. They'd be like, oh man, my car would suck, but I'm so glad you're okay. You were like, (laughs) I am so glad you're okay. Yeah, that would have sucked, but you know. Well, the kids were in the car. I know. (laughs) Let's just back up here. My kids were in the car. My kids were in the car. Ugh, I just, ugh, barfy. But, you know, and then Joey, like, he hands me, he's like, I, you know, like, after he sees that I'm okay. Um, and I see he's okay. Um, and Tobin just didn't really, he didn't really, he was so young. Yeah, like he, he didn't really, 
he thought it was just a fun ride yeah. going down the hill. But Joey was like, walks out of the car. He sees that I'm okay. Mm-hmm. He hands me his food. He's like, I'm not really hungry anymore. Mm-hmm. And just walks to school. Mm-hmm. Like literally walks to school. And I'm just like, are you okay? Like what? You know, and I'm, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of, you know. And so Brian actually ended up going to the school and pulled him out of class and was just talked to him. And mm-hmm. it, it really did affect him a little bit more later. He was yeah. obviously in trauma yeah. like in that moment. But I thought, you know, for him to just go to his normal schedule was yeah. probably good for him in that yeah. moment yeah. of him just going right to school. Like, that's yeah. what he was going to do with his day, yeah. you know. And then as his, as it unraveled, yeah. then we would unpack, like, yeah. what was going on. Anyway, so that's Nicole, my <laughs> awesome neighbor. <laughs> but let's talk about you as a counselor. Okay. And, um, again, Nicole Gekoff. And you, okay, so, oh, we need to talk about, like, like, you're married. Yes. Two kids. Two kids. Yes. You Fleur is in. T- tell me, like, okay. you say what. Is so up? I'm married. I have two children, Sadie and Fleur. Sadie's in seventh grade. Fleur's in third grade. Okay. Um, and her and Ru- and her and Ruthie are really good friends too. Yes, they are. And super close. they play all the time. They play all the time. <laughs> and and Fleur loves my pancakes. I bet. <laughs> Every time she sits over, she's like, all right, are we having pancakes yes. more? I'm like, yes, we are. Yes, we are. Fleur's not afraid to ask. Yeah, I love that about her. She's she's a little, she's just a little, I love her. Yeah, we, You know that. We love having her around anytime. Um, she's definitely seen it all on our end, that's for sure. Um, but anyway, so you have one at Athey, Joey's yeah. age, Sadie, and then yeah. Fleur is in third grade, a year younger than Ruthie. Yes. So. Um, what's cool about your situation too, is that you have kids in this school system you got, and then, but you're working Yes. and what district is that? What North Marion school district, North Marion school mm-hmm. district. And mm-hmm. you work with middle schoolers. Correct. Okay. Yes. So, um, you're in that system. What made you want to be a school counselor? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So I, that's, that's sort of just a really long evolution of my own personal journey and um my own I I don't know my own perspective I guess Mm -hmm. uh I was a student that struggled uh not so much when I was younger I think you know I was just sort of an average quiet kid in class I didn't get in trouble or anything like that I was one of those kids that sort of gets lost in the shuffle I did struggle with reading when I was younger but um you know, academically, I was sort of just middle of the road. And um, and I, I think probably I had an undiagnosed learning disability that I discovered later. Um, and, and, and that's been impactful in my life, but also I think in the lives of my family members because they also have learning disabilities, some of them, and I see how it affects them. Um, and how kind of the school interacts with people. And I would say learning differences. I wouldn't actually say disabilities. I would say differences. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think there's a lot of strengths to learning differently and using different parts of your brain Mm -hmm. um, while learning. But uh, anyway, so um, I was kind of an average student, and um, I went to a private school until I was in fifth grade, and then I went to a public school. And the public middle school that I went to at that time, or it was actually junior high, seventh and eighth grade, was, it was a crazy place to be. Um, It was in the Bay Area. It was 
population of students that went there were very different. It was a very multicultural place. Um, you know, students from very different ethnic backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, and it was volatile. Like, it was a scary place to be. I could not walk up the stairs at school uh, without getting my butt grabbed, like, what? every single day. What? Yep, every day. And um, and there was, like, that was never even something that I told on anyone. It was just what? That was the culture. Well, you would look back and there would be no one, you couldn't tell who it was. There's so many people jammed in the hallway and going up the stairs. But it, you didn't know who was doing it. There was no one to tell. Um, there was race riots when I was there, and uh, it was scary. People got taken away um, <clears throat> in ambulances. Like it was definitely oh scary. I was slapped on multiple occasions. One time in the face by a belt. Um, but just for being, not not because I was, uh, you know. Uh, I, I was not a fighter. Like, I never got in a fight. It was just being. And it was really upsetting. And so when I went into high school, and this was coming from a private school, and then going to this public school situation, but by the time I got into high school, um, in ninth grade, I don't think that I had the study skills. I don't think that my own personal family life had sort of imploded. It had always been troubled, but like my parents were no longer married and, and both of them dealing with their own issues. So not really there to provide the family structure anymore. So by ninth grade, I was just fancy free. I was having a great time and I definitely was not going to school. Mm -hmm. And so I was credit deficient in ninth grade. I got straight F's. Oh my ninth grade, my whole ninth grade year. Whatever. <laughs> Did it go? Cool. She's like, yeah, the most responsible person I know. Yeah. Well, no, and most people would not know this. I yeah. Think, looking at me or, or no. Yeah, but I definitely was. And um, by the middle of my tenth grade year, I there was no way I was ever going to graduate. Okay. Like I got straight F's in high school. I also really, really, really was, I think, angry at the school system. Mm -hmm. um, I saw how within my high school, because the area that I lived in, like I said, was racially, ethnically, and socioeconomically diverse, I saw very, very clearly how the school system was essentially locking people into their positions in life. Like, I could see it. Um, any black and brown student coming in um, was from Richmond, mostly, for the most part, not exclusively, but for the most part. And, uh, you know, they were poor, and their family structures were not intact, and they were not in the honors and AP classes. They just were not. They were actually being taught in the basement of the school what? and being read yeah. to from a record player. That was, and like, just kind of fill in the blank ditto sheets. And meanwhile, the kids from Kensington, which was more of a, a, a mostly white affluent area, um, they would literally come down off the hill, uh, <laughs> were in the AP and honor classes. But 
they weren't learning either. They were simply regurgitating the information and they had learned how to play the system. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, hmm, this is an interesting system that is teaching us not to think, but merely regurgitate and also locking us into our positions that we come into, whereas school really should be about expanding your horizons and, and learning more and becoming more. Yeah. Um, and, and being able to aspire to more. And so it frustrated me because I saw the cyclical nature of it and how it was the system itself that was uh, really locking people into place and that it was a racist system. Like, I definitely saw that in ninth and tenth grade, and I was mad. Um, so you're like, I am not into yeah. this. Just forget <clears throat> yeah. it. You were kind of forced to go there. Yeah. And then you're like, I'm not going to learn. This is just wrong. Or, you right. Know. And I thought they were actively, I felt like, I remember I wrote some essay. It was just my own personal little essay. And it was, I felt like if I bought into the system, it would be the death of my own kind of thinking. Like my brain would have to just now, um, instead of thinking and thinking creatively and analyzing information and, and coming up with like creative ways of problem solving that I was just being asked to regurgitate and that it really was, um, kind of counter to what I thought education should be. And, and I thought it was the problem. And I was like, I am not going to buy into this. So when when I was 15 and a half, um, <laughs> they finally got a hold of my parents and we all went into a, a, a meeting with my school counselor and, you know, they talked about credit recovery or I could do an extra year or I would do summer school every year or how would I catch up? And I said, you know, I, I'm not sure, but what about all these issues? Like, I really just feel like I can't buy into it because I feel like the school system is part of the problem and and I explained it all and he's yeah. like well his answer was well school's not actually for everyone and that was it like okay it's not for everyone and so when I was 16 um I, I started doing some independent study outside of school because I was only 15 and a half and I had to go to school till I was 16 and um then I took my California high school proficiency exam which I passed so that was it. That was it. That was it. That was it. <laughs> that was it. That was, was done. It. You were done. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, so when at that point, so you got that, mm -hmm. um, which is awesome. And then at what point did you decide you wanted to be a school counselor though? Like, well, so like I said, it's sort of a long journey. Yeah. Um, so I felt the stigma of not being successful in the school system. I didn't know where my um, path would lie. I did start going to community college. I was fortunate that I was a really good um, and enthusiastic reader. And so I really, I think, mostly was in charge of my own education for the most part. Awesome. Um, and so, like, I started in college freshman English. Um, and... Uh, I just didn't have the study skills. I didn't have the confidence, and I had a stigma of failure. Like, I literally, I absorbed it all. Um, even though I felt like it was a systemic issue and that the system had failed me, I also felt the stigma of failure. And so it literally took me, I think, till I was 21 or 22. I took freshman English six times. 
<laughs> and 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 um, like the you know freshman algebra or whatever it was, six times. And it's not that I failed it; I kept withdrawing. I kept withdrawing, and it was on the semester system, so that's several years. Yeah, <laughs> of trying and failing and trying and failing. And I would pull out, and I was a perfectionist, and I struggled. Um, I struggled to put turn in anything that I didn't think was good enough. Um, I definitely had anxiety around all of that. Uh, once again, I think I had a, a it, I did have an undiagnosed learning disability. So writing, like handwriting things and the spelling portion of things, it was just arduous. So once and you had no one kind of guiding you. No, you I didn't. You were yeah. your own advocate, really. Yeah. So I, my, my own parents never went to college. Um, and uh, my father's Bulgarian, so he wasn't even, you know, part of the school system here. He didn't understand it. Uh, they were sort of, they, it's not that they didn't care about me. They just. Um, it wasn't on their radar. Yeah, they, they just were living their own lives, and I think their perception of maybe my abilities based on what I had already accomplished was not high. So, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, maybe office clerk would have been what they would have, or, or, you know, bagger at the grocery store was sort of where they thought I should go. That was the direction. And because it was a good job and because, but I just, that, I felt like I needed more purpose in my work. Like yeah. my work couldn't just be um, going to work and earning money. I think I don't think there's anything wrong with those jobs. Right. So anyway, um, but I just for me it didn't feel right. So I kept pl plugging away. I mean, I think yeah. almost because I just didn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, but you knew that you had more in you. Yes. Yes. So then, and, so then, fast forward to mm -hmm. kids, marriage. Well, so I became a real estate appraiser. So I finally did figure out, I, I actually got counseling myself okay. at a certain point. Oh. Um, and so I kind of figured out, hey, I'm sort of a perfectionist. And I'm just, the reason I'm failing is because I'm not finishing things and trying. It's like I'm afraid to put myself out there. So I sort of started doing that and I got the hang of it. And it still took me a long time. Like I really had to fight through it. But but I did start finishing all those classes, and then I transferred to a four-year school, and I eventually graduated when I was 28. So you were 28. I was 28. So it took me more than 10 years to sort of figure it all out after having graduated early from yeah. school. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so it did. It took me a long time. And after that, my main focus, because I had been a student for so long, and because during that time I had gotten married, and we had a house, and we were sort of living that life. I was living a dual life, essentially. So one of student and then one of adult, and, and trying to... At 28. Yeah, mm -hmm. and trying to function in that life. Um, and well, before 28. Because I got married when I was 25, and I'd been with my husband since I was 19. But, right. um, but uh, you know, the the I had always worked, so I also always worked since the time I was 16. So um, you basically you were working, yes, withdrawing classes, getting into classes, yes. going to counseling. Oh, well, in the yeah, in yeah, the yeah, trying to yeah. figure out what the heck is going on. Get married, 
Yes, get a house. Get a house. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot, Nicole. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, and I was kind of figuring it all out and pu- always pushing myself, right, mm-hmm. to try and yeah. figure out what it was that I did want to do. I graduated still not knowing. <laughs> Yeah. Necessarily. Well, like many of us. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't. Um, and I got a ceramics degree. Is oh, art right. Degree. Yeah. Um, and the That's reason right. I went for art was because um, I, I kind of had bounced around. But the reason, honestly, was because I love ceramics. I love creativity. That was sort of a sustaining force for me. I had started in high school, and that was like the one class I loved and, and would go to school for. And um, I thought, well... I'm going to graduate with a BA in whatever, something random. I don't know what I want to do. What's the difference between ceramics and, say, an English degree? Not too much. Right. Well, my husband got an English degree, and you're right. Not too much. So I was like, I might as well. Unless you want to get, like, a foundation to be a professor or something like that, which was his goal, but it didn't. Right. Yeah. And so I could have gone and gotten my master's in in, um, ceramics Mm -hmm. and, and gone into teaching, but that at 28, um, I sort of, I didn't do that. I felt the obligation and the pull to start earning more money. I had been working, I was waiting tables, I was doing all that kind of stuff, but um, like I wanted a career. And yeah. so I decided to become a real estate appraiser and I became a real estate appraiser and I was an appraiser in the Bay Area and that was a great job. And I worked from home and... I made my own schedule and I made really good money and it did not feel fulfilling. Um, I right back down to that. (laughs) Gosh, darn it. (laughs) So then, so then, um, but I did, I did feel fulfilled in the sense that I was proud of myself and it kept going and you made an accomplishment. Yeah. And, and Mm -hmm. I was proud that I had sort of figured all that out and that felt good. And I saw that, Oh wow, look, I can figure it out. So that was great. Um, so then we moved up to Oregon and I had Sadie and Fleur and I spent, almost 10 years at home with them, kind of inter, um, continuing to explore my interests. And that was my goal, um, was to figure out where I wanted to um, kind of focus my life on, besides my family and kids mm-hmm. and things like that. And I, um, I investigated life coaching and I did pursue that and um, I got the coaching certificate and I think that that was sort of starting me on my path and journey um, but still that wasn't quite the right fit in the mm-hmm. sense that uh, I absolutely hate marketing and yeah, that's... <laughs> like I loathe it yeah uh, I love talking to people I love kind of continuously having that positive focus and and um, you know um, continuing to build on people's strengths and and pursuing passions and goals I do not like marketing um and so that was like a barrier right to to um that and so I kept thinking about it I kept thinking about it and how do I kind of tie all these interests together um I I started um a little home studio and that was fun for a while ceramic and I, home yeah. Studio, yeah and um I was teaching some classes out of it and I was thinking about creativity and how to bring creativity into coaching and I don't know that I'm done with that yeah um it's still there mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah. I did a major home remodel and my studio got filled with 
stuff from the house and so um, it's a big studio too yeah and I and and so that's sort of next on my list of things to do is uh, get my studio running again and Mm -hmm. and I don't know where that's gonna go yet Um, but I know it's there for me and and that's sort of a necessary component in my life so ultimately that's the first portion Um, so I, I was continuing to investigate as Fleur was growing up, but by the time she was three, um, and that was kind of the, the time frame I had in mind, I had decided on school counseling as the place I wanted to spend my efforts. And the reason is, is because I kind of came around full circle and I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm, (laughs) I have a lot of criticisms about the school system in general, but it is actually the system we have in place to, um, to teach people how to think. And, you know, the system and the fact that we get all the kids and it's not, it doesn't matter whether, you know, what your socioeconomic background is. It doesn't matter if you're, um, you know, what the color of your skin is or your religion the public school system is meant for everyone so really we just need to figure out how to do it better yeah (laughs) and and I I really passionately believe that and I passionately believe that um we need to bring more creativity into education and 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 we are at a critical time in our world where if we don't start to sort of figure out these problems, we are not going to grow thinkers that can solve the problems that we are facing today. Yeah. Um, that we've left them with, really. Yeah. yeah. And so so that's sort of, you know, it kind of, I thought, well, I can either just, you know, be upset that this is the system, or I can see how I can... Um, you know, do my small part to be part of the solution as I perceive it to be. And then also, um, you know, I, I think just find that meaning in, in my work that I was searching for as well. So, so do that's you feel like now, so, but you did, you went to the schooling mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. you got the So job. I went back to school. Yeah. yeah got my got, master's and in you, school. The counseling. kids are in school. I mean, you yeah. were like busting, busting your butt on all that because it was like, Kids mm-hmm. in school, marriage, you know, this yeah, and that. Yeah, that was you were, Yeah, yes, and that was busy, a lot of hours, busy, right? Busy, yes. I'm yeah. still busy, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you are still busy. But that was, what, two years of doing that? Uh, I, I was actually three years because, three years. yeah, it would be normally a two-year master program, but I stretched it to th- – I went kind of, you know, three-fourths time, essentially, um, because I had a three-year-old and a seven-year-old at the time. Yeah. And, well, I mean, still, that was pretty quick. It seemed like it went pretty yeah. quick. So then now what you're facing, so mm-hmm. now your, your, your goals are met, yeah. yes. your passions are in line, <laughs> you're feeling fulfilled and, and now uh-huh. you're facing what we're all facing. And mm-hmm. so I want insight on mm-hmm. just now you choosing to be a middle school counselor, yes. school counselor, you yes. are there yes. and you've been doing this for now officially for, um, well, f- almost four years, almost yeah. four years. Yeah. And you started out somewhere different, then you went somewhere else, right? Like yeah, you, I've I've been sort of. Um, you were at a different school, and then. Yeah. So you've seen different districts. Yeah. Your kids mm-hmm. are in a different district. Mm-hmm. You know what all of these kids are facing, all yeah. demographics. Yes. All yes. demographics, which yes. is I think is so 
awesome because I think I struggle with the demographic of just being in this one scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always really interested in what other scenarios are. Mm-hmm. I mean, even this scenario that I'm in right now, so, I mean, I love it, but mm-hmm. I also like diversity, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I always kind of like, this is why I kind of love picking your brain about this stuff. Cause it's like, okay, what are you really seeing out there? That's mm-hmm. these kids are facing, I mean, the demographics. Yeah. So I would say, you know, the, you know, like what are these kids? The facing? world that I, um, kind of assessed and it's a long time ago now, almost 30 years ago when I was in high school is still in place. Like it's not different. Um, we still have systemic problems that really, um, I think not because people are, are, um, uh, intentionally racist, but the truth is, is that we have a systemic country. Like mm-hmm. our country was built on systems of racism and it just is it was and so as a result we still um you know i think that some of our data has now shown what i was intuitively picking up on 30 years ago but the data proves it right i mean Mm -hmm. black and brown students um still underperform their white peers and uh there's a reason for it and it's and it is systemic and so we need to figure out how to um, create a situation where we have equal access to education and that education is quality education um, for all kids, not just privileged whites. Like Westland is, I mean, it's a, its own demographic in that sense of just like... It's 98% white. 98% yes. white. So <laughs> Yes. I mean, and pr- m- the majority of students probably, not all, but are from... Um, you know, uh, uh, from a position of privilege, like socioeconomically, yeah. um, that it is, and, and it's a good school district and yeah. I really appreciate it. And it's not that they don't face problems in the school system or that kids don't, um, within their home own home lives have issues or things to overcome. They do. And, and, um, yeah, those are all truths and educators across the spectrum, deal with them they Mm -hmm. do but you know when you have a highly motivated population putting into their kids education that volunteer and um you know they have the count me in campaign where they're actively uh, collecting money and providing for their school and you know i mean it helps the school system it does yeah um so like in your specific school system though like how um, the demo, like, what are you seeing in your school system that they're not putting in effort to it? Oh, or no, like- no, no. Parents do, parents love their kids no matter where they're at and they try to the best of their abilities. But if your reality is, um, that you are just trying to make ends meet, you're working, maybe you're a single parent, maybe you are, um, don't have, uh, you know, uh, what you need to even provide for your family. You, maybe you haven't yourself gone through the school system or understand the ins and the outs of it. It's it's hard to support your kids these days in school. It really is. And if you're just figuring out how to put food on the table, Mm -hmm. or maybe you're having your own stresses or concerns, right? Maybe you're worried about, um, I, you know, there we have some families that are worried about maybe one parent not being able to stay in the country anymore, um, what that's going to do to their family system. 
Um, These are the real issues that people are facing. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, and I think that it's hard for everybody. It is hard for everybody. It is hard for everybody. Because everyone's making a living. Yeah. No matter how much money is there or how much money is not, we're all facing the same. And it's very stressful and we're all sort of like want to provide for our kids and you know I look at it from the adult perspective everybody's struggling right I mean everybody I talk to it doesn't matter whether they're you know in in what would be considered a privileged uh, circumstance or you know they're really just trying to make ends meet and provide some food for their family they are struggling people are struggling in our society as a whole we're stressed out we're overworked we're anxious um everyone's trying to do the best they can but for some reason it just feels like it's falling short Mm -hmm. and you know what that translates to the kids (laughs) it does and when we look on the news every single night and there's just more bad news um it's stressful you know kids are doing uh lockdown drills in schools and that's stressful there's Mm -hmm. just a lot of anxiety and stress and kids are feeling it for sure 100 percent. and so are adults yeah so are adults yeah uh and that translates to the kids too so you know that is i think what's facing educators as a whole i think that we have a lot of really, really committed, caring, passionate people that are in education on May 8th. So just in a couple of days, you know, our whole school district in West Lynn is going to close and so that teachers can go advocate for more school funding for mm-hmm. students. This is for students because, you know, as a society, we are not adequately supporting these kids. We simply aren't. We we want to magically fix these problems, but we really need to start investing in the kids in a in a real way. the The state legislative state legislature did a whole year long study, and they went into multiple school districts all around Oregon. And the number one issue that they came out of was behavior. Behavior in classrooms is just it's skyrocketing it's making the learning environment almost impossible um i myself when i first started a couple years ago like even three years ago um i did a couple of suicide risk assessments wow this year i've done to date 26 what last year i did 30 like wait what does that mean like 30 like potential yeah that come to you and they're potentially contemplating suicide? Um, yeah. I mean, they don't always come to me. Sometimes um, someone's reported it. Sometimes they've said it to somebody. Sometimes it's been through an electronic communication. But, yeah. And I would say... Anx- so from the beginning, so from the beginning of when you started working, two, now 30. Yes. In four years. <laughs> yes. Um, it is skyrocketing. Okay, wow. Oregon, Oregon has one of the highest suicide rates in the nation. Um, really? Yeah, <laughs> just across the board. But, but um, why? For, for that population. I mean, it might be the weather. I don't know. The we- oh, yeah. <laughs> the rain. Well, I mean, it's not rainy everywhere. It's rainy in Portland. But, I'm not well, sure. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. It could also be a depressed economy. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for, you know, why someone... Um, but why are the kids, though? 
What's I the think, key factor? Well, part of it is, I think, the anxiety. I think uh, we are seeing anxiety and depression rates skyrocket mm-hmm. in, in young people. And a lot of that has happened since the iPhone, you know, since the iPhone came oh, out. Oh, boy. And my so subject. I have, I have my my heated subject. I have pretty strong feelings about that. Um, and yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you're saying statistics. I mean... You have the, I mean, now there, now it's been long enough to have actual <laughs> statistics yeah. come out. Yeah. I mean, this is not, I have talked to people even before you with recording this stuff that, what was it? Oh yeah. Um, Mr. Bombach, um, talking about this too, mm-hmm. that now there's research mm-hmm. parents, there's research, there's research, there's research. Mm-hmm. Um, but you being the school counselor, see that it's contributing I, I would say so, yes, and the research supports it. But yet, kids just don't know how to talk to each other anymore. They don't know how to problem solve. They are overexposed to everything in the world, and it does create anxiety. And they don't have the coping strategies to deal with it. They just don't know how. Um, families are less connected. Uh, the kids are just, they're, they're less connected to those things that I think helped keep them grounded. You know, in some ways they're more connected to the world and less connected to who they are, how they're feeling, how to regulate those emotions, how to manage those emotions, how to problem solve. And they're, they're overscheduled, they're busy, and the pressure is high. The pressure to perform is high. The pressure to be perfect is high. And that stems from all district. I mean, that's... Yes, yes. It doesn't matter who, what, when, where, why. This is what all the kids are dealing with. Yes. Um, And parents. Yes. Kids and parents. And parents. Yes. So, I mean, the reality, though, is is that kids are going to have phones. I mean... Yes. um, What are some things that... I mean, everyone has different opinions on when, how, what, when, where, and why, and all those things. And I get that. Mm -hmm. I mean... Teach his own, right? But um, what are some obvious things that that maybe you tell kids yeah. and parents how to, like what you said, be more channeling within themselves and giving them the tools to, right? Um, what was the word that you said? Like regulate, self-regulate. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are some tips? I mean, tips, tools. What are the things that you're telling them? Well, I think that. Um, Whenever there's a student student that's truly, truly struggling, maybe it's socially, uh, maybe it's with anxiety, you know, one of the, the main things is, yeah, limit that cell phone time and really regulate it, you know, like know what they're looking at, know what social media sites they're on. Um, don't just let them have their phone all night long because they are on it at three in the morning. And um, they're tired when they come to school. And they, you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes I have students, they left Friday and, you know, some kind of dispute or, or um, conflict arose over the weekend on a social media site. And by the time they get back to school on Monday, they don't have any friends. And it happens. And... Just you the know, blink of an eye, everything yeah, changes. Yeah, yeah, it's and it's and it's because of you know a minor misunderstanding, and they don't talk to each other. 
they don't. So I would say, you know, limit it to the best of your abilities. Well, um, that like limit and, 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 and monitor it, know what they're looking at. Um, I have lots of students that take photos of themselves naked and they send them to people they don't know. And it uh. is common. <laughs> That I wish it. Snapchat, I, w- I wish it weren't. Well, but it is. And they say, you know, well, with the Snapchat, it's like, well, they're not gonna, you know, it's gonna disappear. Well, right? they screenshot it. Right. They screenshot <laughs> it. Then they freaking. I mean, but yeah. I went. To, you know, and this is a dangerous thing mm-hmm. because you can be legally bound to those things, mm-hmm. minor or not. Yeah. So right now, get, yeah. I mean, right now, what I'm seeing happen is if. A student sent it to another student and they're, you know, under a certain age that Mm -hmm. they're not being like the the police aren't pursuing each one of those because I think they would spend their whole day basically pursuing those things because it's happening so frequently. Um, You know, but if an adult is in possession of child pornography then write a a picture and there are instances where you know even eighth grade boys have been sort of lured into sending pictures of themselves to someone posing as a Mm -hmm. as an adult female or not as as another female that is like 15 or 16 or whatever and um she will send a picture of herself and then he will send it to her but ultimately well, ultimately, right, you can re- represent yourself any way you want on the internet, and they don't know who they're sending it to and where that image is ending up. And it is scary from a, I think, per- parenting perspective, from an adult perspective. Right. Um, so, so there is huge implications. They also have access to pornography. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I really think screen addiction and, um, you know, probably you know, addiction to pornography and, um, video game addiction, they are real. Like it's real mm-hmm. and it's causing issues with well, yeah. the kids. Yeah. Well, and when you talk when, back to when you were saying, um, kids learning about themselves, mm-hmm. um, self-regulation and just like self-awareness mm-hmm. and all those kind of things like mm-hmm. those I mean, because like, okay, you have the screen and then you have anxiety, okay, or whatever mm-hmm. comes out of that. That's a really broad, like, the details of how can a kid understand that being too much on a screen mm-hmm. or whatever, on the phone or whatever, is causing them to feel a certain way. Yeah. You know, making that, so for like an example, um, one thing that I tried was you know, the quality obviously of what they're watching or, Mm -hmm. right. So Mm -hmm. like I've noticed with like, if Ruthie watches Netflix versus, Mm -hmm. you know, watching YouTube, Mm -hmm. she says, you know, and of course it's limited all over the board. Like Mm -hmm. you can only watch this amount of whatever and the limit, Mm -hmm. you know, we have limitations, but, but I do allow those things to happen. Mm -hmm. And what I ask them simply is, is how did you feel after you watched YouTube versus mm-hmm. how you watch Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like those spirit animal shows where you're like on Netflix where, you know, mm-hmm. this scenario that we grew up with where it's mm-hmm. like there's a problem, things get solved, right, right, right. come together, 
right. problem solved next right. episode. Right? right, right. Versus YouTube where you're constantly showed images, commercials. Right. Yes, and Ruthie, I mean, at fourth grade level said, I don't feel good after I watch YouTube because mm-hmm. it makes me feel like I should buy things and mm-hmm. or that I just, it's, it, I don't feel like I'm getting any episodes. It's just more just like crap TV. Right. It's constantly stimulating you and so you enjoy it. So it's sort of like eating a bag of potato chips. Yeah. You love it. You want more. Right. For sure. Right. But the question is, is it good for you? Yeah. And so that's, I mean, <laughs> taking it with the kids and saying, you know, walking them right. through how right. they feel. Yeah, through it, they have the awareness yeah. to yeah. self-regulate a little bit. A little bit. They still, you know, it. it I think it'll. Be, I don't have an answer to this. Like this I know. Is, well, this is what this the... is like. New. We really, you know, we're starting to understand the impact uh, of it. There may be some positive outcomes as well. Like you know, technology is not all bad. There are positives Absolutely. to it as well yes um so i think like any tool we simply need to figure out and do a better job of how we teach the use of that tool and how we support students and how we do monitor and regulate the use of that tool as their bodies and brains are growing and developing um, but it is new. So I sort of think of us as in like the, the, the wild west of, uh, technology usage right now. It's just a free for all, you know, and, and, you know, we're figuring it out yeah. as we go and, you know, for good or bad, this generation is sort of our guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's challenging. It's challenging. I do think, I always tell, uh, like the eighth graders that are uh, at my school that chafe at some of the regulations that we have around technology use. I always tell them, I really think, and I do believe this, um, I think that their generation, when they become parents themselves, will be much more um, regulated and strict around technology use because they know how it can be used. Uh, The generation of parents that are now parenting kids Mm -hmm. that are using technology did not have that kind of access as kids and so in some ways we're naive i think to really (laughs) how how it can be used and we're like oh it's just great and they're using you know whatever (laughs) it's so innocently and it's like no it's not always being used innocently and it's leaving a digital footprint that will last their whole lives like there are some i i I, I always say this, I would hate to have had a cell phone in middle school when I was in middle school mm-hmm. because I would not want that. What, who and what I was doing then, I would not want that out there now to just keep reliving. Um, oh, because that's a, that's a really good because, point. Because yeah. th- it was part of my development and mm-hmm. it was part of who I was as a person, mm-hmm. but it's certainly... I get to leave it behind, right. essentially. Like a diary. And I, get, I get to grow as a person. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Well, even just looking back at Facebook and seeing what I posted in 2008 versus 2019, mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm a different person. Yeah. You know, imagine, yeah. I mean, yeah. imagine being a teenager to an adult right now. Yeah. And so, and we've also seen within, you know, media, we've seen a lot of adults that have had um serious consequences as a result of 
posting something inappropriate mm -hmm. or um, some comment or statement that has come back to bite them. Uh, so these are adults mm -hmm. that have done that. Right. So we are giving this same kind of access to children that just they don't even have um, well, full, full executive too, functioning that, yet. Right, full executive frontal cortex. Mm -hmm. um, what you said back when you were saying, um, you know, like how the kids, they'll – they'll have a dispute over social mm -hmm. media, Instagram, whatever, and then not talk to each other the next No, they don't talk. That, can you give me a scenario? <laughs> like, what, can you give me, like, a live example of what actually happened where you had to help somebody that went through that? Like, because I would imagine it's a heck of a lot more common than out of anything. Yeah. I would assume that that. Like, yeah, it happens a lot. It yeah. happens a lot. That mm -hmm. social media or social bullying, cyberbullying, you know, that would be the... The social media aspect of it. I, I mean, it, cyberbullying isn't as. Is that considered cyberbullying? No, because no, that's it's not a just constant. a conflict. It's a conflict yeah. that they don't know how to work out. So, yeah. can you give me an example of like? Yeah, I mean, so tell me a live so, example so, of what happened. So, two sixth grade girls. Okay, two sixth grade um, girls who are friends. Okay. Uh, over, I think it's Snapchat. Okay. Had. They, they were disagreeing about something, but they um, kind of posted some, like, just kind of vague comments to each other. It was just vague. It okay. wasn't really even dispute. It was just vague. And they misinterpreted it. One said, one was upset with the other. One said I, she wanted to talk about it. The other one said, I can't talk right now. I have to go. And... So one t the, the, the one who wanted to talk about it took that as being blown off and did text something really rude in response. And the other one then thinks that she hates her and she's mad at her. And now they have a full-blown conflict that now they're talking to their other friends about. And they're not talking to each other about anymore. And they're, they're about to get in a fight. And they were friends before all that started. And as and and neither of them realized that actually th they were very aware of how the other person had been rude to them to some capacity. But when we scrolled back through the comments or the texts, they had forgotten that they had actually said some extremely rude things to each to the other person. So like they'd sworn at each other. They had said just horrible things, but they had forgotten their own piece of it. Because the, their fingers move faster than their brain, and they, boop, sent it, and they forgot about it, and the impact of it. Oh my so God. two friends, oh <laughs> oh. through just total miscommunication, oh. are on the verge of fighting, and not only that, they've drawn every like other person into their peer group in it, and half the school who's like ready to see a fight. <laughs> that quick. Yeah. It's so what they end up in your office, and then yeah, and, and then you have and and my that. first question is, have you guys spoken to each other, like face to face? And the answer is no, most likely no. Wow, Nicole, see you in a different light. <laughs> you're like a you're like a warrior coming to the battle, like trying to stop the stop the troops. 
So, like, how did you unravel all that? Like, did they end up becoming friends? Or, like, how did you... Yeah, well, usually, I mean, we sort of go through the steps, and each person has to... Usually, I'm honestly, quite honestly, I'm usually, like, a little bit baffled by the whole, like, I'm like, and then what happened? And then what? (laughs) Um, Okay, and then they're explaining it to me, and I'm like, oh, but wait, didn't you just say that to her? And they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And I'm like, okay, well, how do you think she might have felt about that? So it's a lot of that well, what do you think might have been the impact of what you said? Uh, Oh, well, I think maybe she might have been hurt by that. Okay, and so how do you think, like, her response to you was fueled by how she felt? Oh, yeah, I could see how she might say that. Do you guys see how now starting to pull everybody else into it started to cause this drama? I mean, and so we sort of have to go step by step through what happened and as a result of their actions, how other people might have felt about it and how they themselves felt about it and why they did that as a result and what would have been some better steps to take. You know, okay, so you're feeling frustrated and upset and you want to talk to your friend about it, but your friend's not available. What might have been another thing you could have done? Um, she's not available right now. Oh, I don't know. Okay, so let's. What do you do when you're upset? <sighs> I don't know. I go on YouTube. Okay, YouTube's one thing. What else? Oh, I draw. Okay, so you can draw. What if you really have something you want to tell your friend, but sh- that person's just not available? Oh, I guess I could write it out and write her a letter that we can, you know, talk about later. That'll remind me. You know, so we go through all the coping strategies of how they can handle it without posting some mean or unkind comment on Snapchat or whatever it is, you know. Right. Um, and that's basically the gist of it. <laughs> but so, so that is layered on top of, you know, when we think about what we're teaching, why we're teaching it, how we're teaching it, the stress that each kid feels to perform and be perfect and, and, um, and why and to what end and what are we trying to teach and what are we hoping to accomplish, which is also layered on top of sort of the systemic and social inequities that we're facing and mm-hmm. that like, you know, where we have students that, I have eighth grade boys and I watch them, um, Latino males who are from, um, you know, families that love them very much and work very hard, but, um, you know, uh, maybe did not go to college or maybe even graduate from high school. And I watch them, and because they have been marginalized by the system so often, by eighth grade, I see... I see that they're giving up. They're just giving up. And they're and not only are they giving up, they're mad. And I don't mm. know that they know why they're mad. Um but they are. Mm-hmm. And and they don't realize that they they like for them it's just personal, right? It's you know, me and my the teachers are against me and um, school's just stupid and they want us to learn all this stuff that's not related to real life and why do we need to learn any of it anyway and you know and, and they, they feel it personal for themselves and it is 
for them. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, it's their but story. It's, but it's also systemic mm-hmm. that they are literally climbing up a, like a hill before they even get to the hill. And I think that that's what we need to start. How do we figure that out? Um, yeah. You know, and so how do we figure it out and how do we make education meaningful? Because our kids get to that point and they think it's about them they think they've failed they think they're not good enough and that's not true from my perspective well and you have a right to say that from my perspective experience that yeah thousand percent well and from my perspective it's it's and it's not teachers and it's not administrate that's not what it is it's the system and it's 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 um, that we have sort of locked in place that is failing. So what's just like when you say system, like you're saying the government educational system, <laughs> like what system? Well, what? It's just, it's just that, that, that's a like system. a really even bigger conversation. Right. It is a bigger, but where is the problems coming from, stemming from? Well, I mean, we have system layered upon system. Right. So, so like, whatever this system is, is not. Well, so if you think about it, let me, let me just like, we'd have to go back 400 years, you know, to the founding of the country and who founded the country and why and how those systems were put in place and who was it meant to benefit. And then you fast forward and you see that those systems have worked, that, you know, we have. Um, you know, uh, if you just kind of disaggregate the data, um, socioeconomically and, and, and within our education system, you can see it that white students are outperforming their, their black and brown peers. And, and you think then that's now, yes, no, that's ongoing. And so, so I mean, that's a strong subject too in this. Day well, but it's too. well known. It's I know, well it known. Well known. It's I mean, just... it's well known within education that, like, yeah. I mean, since, but it's it, it is a strong subject, and so a lot of people disagree on that. Uh-huh. But to my mind, it's obvious. Like, it's so incredibly obvious that, as a ninth or tenth grader, I could see it. Because you see it in your school right now. Yes. You see it in your school right now? I see it every, it is everywhere because it is, it's not people. It's not like, um, you know, as a person, as an individual, you can, you or I can say, well, I'm not racist and you would be lying. (laughs) And the reason is, is because when you are brought up in a racist system, you are a participator of racism you cannot be outside of the system that you are brought into not only that when uh, the way our brains work is that we categorize and class and put into sort of um, categories people right well we have a society that that is a racist society and therefore um, the images and the way we categorize and class people, we are innately prejudiced as well. So we just are. You have an instantaneous idea about someone. Yeah. It doesn't make you a bad person. Right. And I think that's what people get st- <laughs> stuck on is like prejudice against people. No, 
but you're saying the system is prejudiced and how the system is racist and people are prejudiced and can also be racist but right <laughs> white people i mean that's i mean how many people discuss it like that well it's just think... a perspective it's not i'm not saying i'm right or wrong it's yeah. my personal perspective um but I think that within education, that that perspective um, is, you know, when you look at the discipline data that um, black or brown students are disciplined or expelled, like, and students in special education are disciplined at higher rates than their white peers, um, the graduation rates, um, you know, state testing scores, all of that hashes out. Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah, why? Why? Well, and I would say that, I mean, we fundamentally have a perpetuating system within our society that supports that. So that how does somebody, like, you're, 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 so, so if you think about 400 years approximately of laws. I know. This that have benefited white people. My head hurts. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. And I know. I mean, I just never really thought of it like layer upon layer. Upon well, and layer it is. It's all layer. layer upon layer upon layer. And so, and so, I don't know. And it's it's a bitter, bitter pill. I think. Well, and you're for, facing it every day in your school. I've I've been facing it every day since, since I was school. a kid, and yeah, I myself yeah. was a recipient of some of that anger. Like I got slapped in the face. And the race, white. yes, and and but but when you have a population that you can literally look at and say most of the affluent people are from from this area are white, and most of the people that are living in abject poverty and struggling are black or brown. There's a reason for that, and it's not work ethic <laughs> or intelligence. It is systemic. And it is, it causes anger and, and there is a reason for that anger and, and it not only, it is, it is to all of our benefits to figure out a system that is more equitable for everybody so that we all have the chance. Yeah. To become who we are intended to be. Yeah. Everybody. Right. <laughs> and it benefits everybody if we do that. Right? I mean, our prison system, you look at that and there is a definite, you know, um, you, the, the statistics there too. Who's in prison and why? You know, I mean, it's like where as a society are we feeding our efforts? Where are we? How are we, you know... We can continue to ignore this, but it comes at a great cost. And it's not just a cost to one portion of the population that is suffering or struggling. It is actually to everybody. We are all suffering as a result of this racist system. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just my... So, like, sorry, so, sorry, yeah. <laughs> so, box so like, pointing, I mean, I think that we get stuck on pointing the fingers when mm -hmm. reality is, is like... No, this isn't about black, white, this or that. It's just like, where's the problem, and let's solve it. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean... I think we get stuck on the surface parts. Well, I think, uh, you know, f I can only speak for myself, but as a white person, 
Um, I think that you want to deny and you want to say I'm not racist and you don't want to be part of the problem and you don't want to have to take responsibility for something that you don't feel like you created and, you know, and it feels shameful. Well, that's probably how I feel, honestly. You know, and, and so, and that sucks. I know. Yeah. But. but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm just, it's making me think about like. I don't know. I mean, that's a whole other podcast, I believe, you know, of just like, hi, Nicole, about being a school counselor. But these are the issues you are facing. You know, I I don't, yes. And I don't feel like I have any, like, like, these aren't quick fixes. And this is not, there's no like, well, I figured it out wealth, though. This is not about wealth. It, um, well, it does. I mean, it can be, but. No, not necessarily. Right. Yeah. So, yes. So, even when you take out the socioeconomic factor, like, you know, you you take that out, you yeah. still see... Problems. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what I you think still people could see... be locked into is that, well, I mean, we're in this school system where there's a lot of money involved and people are giving money, giving money, giving money, and so, therefore you know, you go into a, a demographic of where some people happen to live and it, there's not a lot of money flowing around, mm-hmm. then are those people, are those kids black, white, pink, mm-hmm. are they not becoming um, their full potential because of lack of money? Yeah, to some degree. To I some mean, degree. So yes, that's the thing. Yes, is that- poverty is, is also a serious factor. I mean, like, if you're obviously wealth or 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 but, but you're having saying, what you need and your needs met right. is going to make you you're successful or not yeah, but your trauma is another thing but you're i mean saying there's a lot racism, of factors right but you're saying that racism though is a factor in successful people being their full potential which is really hard for my it, brain it's to wrap systemic around. it's totally a systemic problem and yes as a society we have been systemically like just stepping on the backs of people (laughs) in order to elevate you know a certain portion of the population that's my perspective that's your perspective well and you're living it so i I mean i think we're all living it i I don't think we're all living it but you're seeing it but i think you know in a bubble of where we are yes you see kids suffering daily I'm not seeing kids suffer daily where I'm at. Okay, I do. Yes, that's what I I'm do. saying. Yes. You yes. see that. As a result of that. And they internalize that and they make it about themselves. Oh, that's and, just... and, and they don't see the bigger picture and the bigger problem and the societal implications. They just feel like they failed and there's something wrong with them. That's it. They internalize it all. And then as a result, to some degree, sometimes it does become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Well, and I, yeah. But, I do believe that's but, a powerful, powerful tool of... Well, it is. You believe what you are, that's what you become. Well, In some and, ways. I mean, yeah. without... So, so, and if, and if the message of society also reinforces all of that, it's... It's virtually impossible, (laughs) you know, um, so, and that is not to say that, you know, that is a, um, universal experience and I can't, it's just what I see. Yeah. That's just what I see. Well, Nicole, I just, 
it's just so interesting to talk about all this stuff. Like, I mean, you, thank God you're in that school. You know, I mean, I cannot, I didn't realize how much of your history plays into what you're doing right now in being in the school that you're at. I mean, you lived what those kids are going through. I mean, well, we've all lived it. No, to I some think degree, maybe, you know? maybe, but you experienced people grabbing your butt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because you were white. No, 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 no. No. no okay. No. That was what just was a that? universal experience. <laughs> for a woman. For a woman. So that's okay, a whole for a nother, woman. for a female. Yes. Oh, that, you know what? I have, that's a whole nother I have topic. A fe- you know what? Yeah. I have a female experience for you. Okay. In my school system, when I was, a, I don't know what, it was like a junior in high school. I'll never forget it. Um, you know, a developing woman, shall we say. Mm-hmm. I had boobs, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I was very, I'm always, I've always been really like, uh, modest, extremely modest, but this particular day I was wearing a tank top that just had like a spaghetti strap, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it was very not revealing at all. Like it was just happens to be more of my shoulder than I'm mm-hmm. used to mm-hmm. showing, right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming out of summer and just more, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And so we were, in, I was in a biology class and this guy, we had meter sticks and he took this, he was the football player. He was like a, you know, could get away with everything football player mm-hmm. at the time. And he took a meter stick and in front of all of my group poked me in the boob multiple times mm-hmm. with a meter stick. Mm-hmm. And I was so mad. I mean, I was just like, Oh my God, I cannot believe this is happening. And so I went right to the principal's office and I said, this is, ha- this, this can't happen. I just got poked, you know, whatever. And he ended up getting kind of a slap on the wrist, played football. Everything was fine. And he did write me a letter and his mom actually worked at the school. So it was just, it was very humiliating, you know, mm-hmm. but I did feel at that point, I mean, this is just a random story, but like, I did feel at the point where I, because I stuck up for myself and I, you know, I felt that I did myself a duty that I, mm-hmm. that my personal body was violated in that way that I was like, I felt good enough with that. But I, looking back, I think he didn't suffer any consequences really. Mm-hmm. Like it was, did he really walk away knowing that that was like mm-hmm. what that did mm-hmm. to me, you know, mm-hmm. to somebody who probably, and I can honestly say struggled with, you know, it was more than just a violation of mm-hmm. just that, you know, it was, mm-hmm. there was deeper than that. Well, and see, so I would say that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole nether right. topic, it is, but, yeah. but I would say that once again, we have systems that are in place. I, I then that's how I well, look differently at now. I mean, that was in 1980 well, or 1990. Well, we still have it in play. Yeah. I mean, like we are starting as a society to start, and this is what's causing to, to some degree this upheaval and this, um, you know, angst and the anxiety and the stresses of, of how we're um, starting to look at things, but like the Me Too movement or, you know, um, Black Lives Matter or, you know, whatever it is, gay marriage, whatever it is, all these things that are super being hot. challenged. Yeah, they're, they're hot button topics, mm-hmm. but we're starting to look at it. And, and to my mind as a society, when we look at that, we say, okay, this is, we're starting to acknowledge. Which is a good with, thing. Let's say with the Me Too movement. Okay, women are, are finally, I think, in a position in society where they feel comfortable enough that they can say something. But the truth of the matter is, is that this has been going on forever. And, and so, 
Um, you know, I know I have experienced, you know, like I said with junior high, but you know, multiple times in my life, sexual harassment or the feeling of being less than because I was female to some degree, um, whatever it was. And since I was a kid and, and I very clearly when I was a kid as well, <laughs> saw that social structure in society. Um, I saw it and I felt it and I experienced it and I evaluated myself against it and I knew it even at that it's time. A, I mean, it's crazy that you're, you were really that self-aware to know that that was, that system was that way. Well, you know? I mean, like when I was, be, when, once again in junior high, when I was becoming, um, you know, like going through puberty, mm -hmm. um, and even before that, actually, I felt the double standard of being a female, you know, um, but I also felt society starting to judge me in a certain way when I started going through puberty. You know, when you're a kid, you're a little bit, um, insulated from that right mm -hmm. kids in some regards can be a little insulated mm -hmm. but as you become a young woman you you start to experience even more profoundly I think that double standard and I felt it even at that time you know and I even remember making a decision I remember making a decision when I was oh I don't know seventh or eighth grade of that I had to almost hide my true self, that I had to bury a little bit of myself and hide it away. I remember thinking it very clearly. Um, because if I was my true self and my like, you know, I shined in the way that um, I felt, I think, that I would get stomped on. I, I knew it. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So this is going to be my challenge. My challenge now is going to be out of self-preservation to put that portion of myself away, to play nice, to play nice with the boys, to play nice with everybody, but to not forget that portion of myself. And hopefully someday when I get through this period of my life, I'll be able to bring that out again mm -hmm. um, and remember that part of myself that was fearless and, and uh, you know, just I don't know just you know what I mean Alive. like yeah just like ah I can mm -hmm. go do it and go get it and just not a, not trying to fit into a mold that mm -hmm. someone else was putting right. on me right if that makes sense yeah. and I remember it and I remember feeling it as a result of being female like you know that was part of it like um, if you want boys to like you, you have to behave in a certain way. There's a societal standard that you have to meet that none of us meet, right? But but we feel that way and we start to put that on ourselves. What is feminine? What does it mean to be feminine? How do you express yourself femininely? If you're too opinionated, if you're too strong, if you're too good at something, maybe that's not feminine, right? Um, wh whatever it is, we start to put ourselves in this box, in this mold. And so, you know, and that also faces a lot of people during middle school and they feel it. Mm -hmm. um, and well, and as they're trying to figure out themselves yeah. anyways, mm -hmm. it's just another avenue of... Right. And so then you have the boys that also, they to be masculine, what does it mean to be masculine? Mm -hmm. Masculine is putting girls down. It's being stronger than the other boy. It's being tougher. It's not showing your weakness. It's not showing your feelings, you know? And But, but it is that sort of toxic masculinity that feeds into a culture of sexual harassment and... Um, you know, the suppression of women mm -hmm. or, or the feminine, you know, um, and, and that is the society we've been living in mm -hmm. for 
centuries. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're starting to challenge that. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. And it, it proves itself for sure. It's all out there. But I mean, even too, it's like, um, I think the things that you're kind of talking about are even above what, you know, um, like for instance, you know, you're talking about the idea of being masculine. Well, the, and then taking that to what the kids are facing, like, um, well, I'm not tall enough. Like mm-hmm. these, like, yeah. um, I've asked a few boys who are, um, will not reveal their names, but like in seventh grade mm-hmm. saying, you know, it's important to be tall. Mm-hmm. It's important to be athletic. Mm-hmm. It's important to be, um, have these clothes are not necessarily a deal breaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do notice if you have like a certain, like it, it just kind of comes to your eye, but it's not necessarily a deal breaker mm-hmm. to be standing out if you don't have like the latest greatest and mm-hmm. then I think having probably a phone or being mm-hmm. rich mm-hmm. being wealthy yeah. and I'm like well what define how do you know when someone's wealthy well just those things right those items well yeah if you have the stuff I guess if you have the stuff or it's or they just somehow know like you have a big house or mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there thinking I'm like well and I said to this boy I said well how those kids didn't make that money. They're not, mm-hmm. they aren't wealthy. Mm-hmm. It's their parents that are wealthy. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, or like the tall factor. I mean, well, you can't really get around that. It's mm-hmm. just, I think it's because you stand out because you're taller, mm-hmm. you know? And then the athletic thing is, runs real deep too mm-hmm. with guys and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, those are like the surfacey things that they're having to right, deal with. And right. then on top of that, what you're talking about with the societal, what is a man? things Mm -hmm. and and I think that's just different from each family I think in our family like we're definitely more aware of like Mm -hmm. we want our kids to be sensitive Mm -hmm. we want them to regulate their emotions how Mm -hmm. do you treat women I mean Mm -hmm. we're aware Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. so I mean um for the most part I Mm -hmm. would think but anyway okay well holy moly moly (laughs) schmoly Nicole (laughs) we're laughing right now um so man I mean just Again, for the millionth time, I am so glad you are in this school system, wherever you are, shining your light and being true to who you are and um, breaking down barriers for those for those kids and for and for parents too. Just thank you. Well, um, we appreciate you. Well, thank you, and I think that from my perspective, well, I appreciate those kind words. Yeah. I actually believe it's a privilege to um, serve kids and to. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, what, what, a uh, what a gift to be able to talk to kids and be able to have the opportunity. I mean, what a privilege to six or seven or whatever hours a day to have the time to kind of form and mold these young minds. Yeah. And I think that we really need to take that privilege seriously and, um, and respect and honor them. Yeah. Well, and you're obviously doing the right job for you because you feel that way, right? I do. You're fulfilled. I, I mean, well, yeah, it's yeah, challenging. It's I'm challenging. not going to say it's not right. but you, but you're doing what you know what you said a long time ago. What you, I am making the effort, and that is the best I can do. And yes. I am hopefully learning and growing every day, um, and hopefully learning from my peers and my colleagues and the kids and from parents and growing in my own um, capacity every day but that's yeah. that's all I can do you right. know? That's all and, you can do. 
and um you know I'm learning so yeah and trying we all are yeah right? and that's it that's, that's it that's my that's do. my goal at the end of the day that's not to be perfect I've learned not to try to be perfect right. yeah yeah <laughs> but to try but just to, try. to keep trying and that's it well and it's paying off so yeah. thank you <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you for talking on this topical <laughs> life. And um, yeah, so thanks for being here. And we're going to continue to talk after this because we're going to just chill.